earlier. Okay, 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 okay. Wrap it up. Come on, wrap it up. Hey, not that this has anything to do with, but uh, my phone is in my pocket and it buzzed. And uh, so if you want to drive me crazy, if you text me while I'm up here, the little header on my iPad goes, and it's my son. And I don't know if you know, Robbie's about to have a baby. Um, so I'm thinking I better pick that up anytime. And it says, do we have lunch plans? So like he doesn't know what I'm doing and he's asking me right now if we have lunch plans. So nobody I'd pick up a text from except for him right now probably, but no baby, but one's coming very soon. So you can pray for us and uh, this grandbaby that's on the way. It's pretty exciting. Hey, over the last um, few weeks, we've been uh, answering the question, what is the church? Uh, it's been a great um, opportunity for us just to step back. And I, I love the opportunity we even have to have Sonny and Sharita here and just another reminder of the power of the church and what the church is and what the church is supposed to be. But if you remember that first week, we started with the idea that the church is a family. And I think that might be one of the most uh, under less understood, under understood, I'm not sure what I want to say there, but, but that we truly are a family is something we say, but do we really understand what that means? So for the last couple of weeks, I've been challenging, can you, can you really just meditate on the fact that God is your father? That there is something transformational and powerful about God being a father, about Jesus being our brother, being heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Talk about a, a, a concept, a spiritual truth that we just barely even grasp. God is your Abba Father. If you have put your trust in Jesus, and that makes us brothers and sisters. Again, a, a term that we throw around loosely, but it means something. It ought to mean something in the way we do church. It's God's design, God's purpose for the church. We also talked about the fact that the church is the answer. The church is literally the answer to the problems that face uh, fatherlessness, as Sonny was talking, to the problems that face our society, to the problems that you're facing in your home, in your marriage, the church is the answer. To the problems we're facing with ISIS, to the, to the Muslim conflict that we don't know what to do with, the church is the answer. To the Syrian refugees, the church is the answer because the church is the embodiment, it's the body, it's, it's what God uses for putting his mission forward. The church is the answer. Last week, I spent some time in Ephesians 3, if you remember, and I unpacked Ephesians 3 and talked about how, how God is using us to make him, him known in, in both here and in the heavenlies. And what I want to do today is I want to continue to unpack that same passage of scripture. So grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. I already taught through um, 8 through 10. If you need to get the CD, that's great. You can do that. Um, but we're going to just continue on because it kind of puts it all into context. I want to also remind you to bring whatever you use at home to study. We want you to take notes. You're going to remember more of what I teach if you're taking notes. I also want to encourage you to check in on social media. I was thinking about this uh, between the services. Um, I see all the time people check in at restaurants. And they check in and what they take a picture of what they're eating. Why do they do that? Because they want the world to know, hey, look, I'm eating at this restaurant. I'm having filet mignon, whatever. Well, maybe it's just as important that we say to the world of social media, hey, I'm at church and I'm learning about Jesus today. So take a minute if you're a Facebook person and just check in and say, hey, I'm at Grace and God's here and we're having a great time studying the word of God. So check in, uh, send anything that you want to tweet, whatever you do. I'm not even sure what that means exactly, but do what you do. Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. Paul is writing, he says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace given, was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ 
and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Again, if you were here last week, then, then you would know that I talked about this, this picture of, of this amazing thing that's been entrusted to us. God has given us this incredible privilege of being his representation. God has actually placed the, this thing in us to say, you are going to be the one to make me known. And then there's this idea that comes out of that passage that we just read that we're not just making him known to our family. We're not just making him known to our neighborhood. We're not just making him known to, to Midtown or to Paris or Morocco, wherever we send people. We're not just making him known to the world, but, but there's this, this picture that he's painting that we make God known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. That is, to me, I have not been able to stop thinking about and trying to wrap my mind around just how amazing it is. We make God known to the spiritual realm. That is a heady thing just to think about. That's what the mission, the purpose of the church is, is to make God known, not just to the physical world, but to the spiritual world as well. And so we've talked about last week, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, we do that when we worship. When our voices come together and we sing the way we sing, there's something that, that happens. And sometimes if you just stop and you listen and you take it in, you can feel something more is going on when our voices come together and we sing. But when we live our lives as, as lives of worship, worship, worship is a way that we make God known, not just to one another, but we make God known in the heavenly realms. We make God known when we come together in unity, when people who are different, different race different economic background, different, different religious background, different family traditions. When people who are very different, and we see this dramatic difference of Jew and Gentile throughout the New Testament, we see it in Ephesians 2. And what, what, what Paul is saying is when those two people who are so, so profoundly different come together on the banner of the gospel and they live in unity and worship in unity and do church in unity, the world takes notice, not just the physical world, but the spiritual world. So we do it when we live in unity. And we also saw last week that we do it by the way we give our lives away in service, that people see our good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, to see our good deeds, we got to be doing some good deeds. So the way we serve, the way we give our lives away is part of how we make God known, not just to one another, but in the spiritual realm as well. I took you to Matthew 5, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The world there, that, that word world is the same wor word we get cosmos from. You are the light of the cosmos. And I encourage you to say to yourself, I am the light of the cosmos. And no matter how that sounds egotistical, to know that that's not something you can do on your own, but because the spirit of God is in you, because you are walking with Christ, something supernatural has happened. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. These are all spiritual truths that we need to allow to sink in, to take root, because they're transformative. It changes the way we live our lives. You are the light of the world. 
So that's kind of the summary, if you will, of those, those first verses. But let me continue and read for you verses 11 and 12 that we're going to unpack today. Verse 11, God, that Paul is saying that God did all this according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to answer three questions. What is God's eternal purpose? What is God's eternal purpose? How has Christ accomplished this purpose? And the question I ask so often when I'm up here, so what? So what? By asking so what, I'm just asking the question, is this pertinent to the challenges of our lives? How does this inform us, the church, and how we ought to live as mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and coworkers and neighbors. And how does this, this impact you and I? Because the truth is talking about God's eternal purpose, right? It, it can sound pretty heady. It can be a great theological discussion, but if it doesn't do anything, if it doesn't move anything, if it doesn't mean anything to how I ought to live my lives, how we ought to live our lives as the church, then it's just a exercise and I don't know. Does it matter? Does it matter to the crisis with ISIS? Does it, does it really matter? Is God's eternal purpose and the mission of the church, are they intertwined? And of course they are. Let me pray. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you would just give me the wisdom to uh, expand upon and to uh, expound upon this amazing passage of scripture. I was just saying between the services, how can so much theology be in two sentences? How can so much life-changing truth be packed into just two short sentences, maybe two sentences that we've overlooked because there's so much in Ephesians, but just to stop and, and allow the richness of your word, the power of your word to do good surgery in our hearts and in our souls, help us to be different because we interacted with you this morning. Bless my words in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by asking the question, what is God's eternal purpose? You know, the, the fascinating thing for me this week is I started asking that question on about Tuesday, and I knew this was the passage I was going to use, so I just started saying to people, so, so what do you think God's eternal purpose is? And I got a lot of a variety of answers. I got some that were close and some that were not so close, and I also was surprised how many people just said, I don't know. I've never really thought about it that way. What is God's eternal purpose? Now remember, by eternal purposes, we're talking about God's purpose even before the creation of man. The Genesis story, that creation story that we know of in Genesis, well, God existed for eternity before that. Whatever eternity is, and our minds can't really wrap around it, but there's a whole lot of time before creation, right? Eternity before, eternity after. God's purpose, this says that God's purpose was in place even before the creation of man. What is God's eternal purpose? All sorts of, of answers. The two most common answers I got was, one, to be in relationship with us. God's eternal purpose is to be in relationship with us. And the other one is to be known. I heard a lot of people said to me, I think God's eternal purpose is to be known. And I think both of these are good answers, but I don't think they're the heart of the answers. Matter of fact, I would say these are more of the what and not the why. And we need to ask the question, what's the why? Why did God create us? Why does God desire to be in relationship with us? Why does God desire to be known? What's the deeper thing that, that's behind that? Knowing the why informs the what. So 
There's a huge difference between why and what. The things that I do, I, this, is, this is part of, of who I am in preaching, but this isn't the why I exist. This is just the thing that God has put in place for me to use to do the, the deeper thing. So there's a video that I want to show you. How many of you know who Michael Jr. is? He's a comedian that um, we see quite often with uh, all the summit stuff we do. But he captures this difference between why and what better than I ever could. So let's just watch this video. Hey, musical director. Yes, cool. sir. All right, so... Um let me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? Once you give me the version, as if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you, you know what version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. Isn't that powerful? It's very cool. There's a whole lot to think about in there, but the question we're asking, not what does God do, but what is God's purpose. And to understand God's purpose, we, un- we have to understand who God is. We have to understand the nature of God. And one thing's for sure that we know through scripture is that God has existed for all eternity as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that Jesus wasn't created. Jesus always was. The Holy Spirit always was. They have always existed as, a, as the three of them, the triune God. And this is central to the Christian faith. Without the Trinity, we don't have the cross. It does not make sense. You cannot have this sacrificial system that was put in place by Christ. He had to be fully God and fully human to make that all happen. So the Trinity is central to the Christian faith. If, if, if somebody says they're Christian, but they don't believe in the Trinity, then they're missing the very core of what the Trinity means. But God exists as a triune God for all eternity. And as a triune God, he exists, and this is important, in perfect love and perfect communion. That God exists as a trinity in perfect love 
and perfect communion. The Trinity is, is mutual love, mutual submission, divine community. And what we need to understand is love isn't something that God does. Love isn't, isn't an action that God, but love is, is who God is. God is love. And we see that in the Trinity and we see that in, in the way God has. So God's very nature is to love. And there, there's a need for something to, to be expressed on it, that God's love needs to be expressed towards something. God is love. And God creates his creation as a place for his love to be expressed. I had a hard time thinking about how to explain this one in a way that everybody could relate to. And I know this isn't everyone's context, and I'm sorry, um, but this is the best thing I could come up with. I have children. And when I held my kids, there is something that I discovered about me that I didn't even know I had. I loved them in a way I didn't even know I had capacity to love. There's something that comes out. And even with each of the kids, it was something different. There is a, a, an inner something. It's a love that, that just has to be expressed towards my kids. And everybody keeps saying to me, I just, I've heard it three or four times this weekend. You have no idea what you're gonna feel when you hold your grandbaby. That's right, all the grandmas in the room, that's right. But the point is, there's something in us that, that has to be expressed. I, I can't help but love my kids. I can't help but want the best for them. I'd, I'd lay down my life for my kids. I, I love them. And, and have you ever loved someone so much? It has to come out. Now, now here's the deal. God has so much love that it, it, it's, it's got to be expressed. It's got to be given away. It's got to be put out. So if you look at Colossians 1.16, this is a powerful verse that helps us to understand. It says, for in him, all things were created, all things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. All things, this, is, this verse is all encompassing. What he's saying is, is the, the heavenly realms, the earthly realms, the sky, the stars, the planets, the, the angels, the demons, all of it. Everything was created. Humans, animals, mountains, oceans, the sky, everything was created. It says for him, for him to what? For him to love. God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. God, Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his son. First John tells us that God is love. Jesus says, I came to show you the very character of God. I came to show you that God is love. What's the great commandment? You know what the great commandment is? That you should Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. I think it's fascinating that the great commandment is an extension or an expression of the very purpose of God. God is love, and he says, I exist to love and be loved, and I am calling you to love others. So when we love others, we are embodying the very mission and the purpose of God. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you, because when we do this, we embody the very nature of God. We, we actually do the very thing that God did for us. You ask the question, how are we supposed to respond to the Syrian crisis? How are we supposed to respond to the refugee crisis? I can tell you, it's not an arms race. Can I tell you, it's not an arms race. We are called to lay down our lives for the Muslims. How do I know that? 
because the Bible tells me so. We are called to lay down our lives. We're called to go to places like Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq. We're called to go to those places even at the risk of our lives because that's what Christ calls us. We are called to go and be in life with them even if it means our lives. That's the picture of love that God calls us to. That's the extension of the great commandment that God's purpose is love. And he says to us, now go and and love God and love others because then they will see who God is. God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. And the the question comes with that is, so how has Christ accomplished this eternal purpose? To understand that, we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Why did God create Adam and Eve? Well, we just saw why God created Adam and Eve. They created for him to love and to be loved. There was this desire for this relationship. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve were invited into experience whatever that that love that existed within the Trinity, they they were invited to experience a piece of that, to be invited into that amazing community that existed within the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Adam and Eve did wrong, right? They sinned, they took the fruit and they ate. And just so you know, this wasn't so much as they just ate fruit. It's not some random thing they did. It's that they rejected God. God said, I've given you everything. I'm going to come and I walk in the garden with you. We have perfect relationship. What we have is awesome. But the serpent convinced him, no, 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 there's more. God's not enough. No, no, God's, God's good, but he's not enough. You need more. Look, this is our, this is our story all of our story, when God isn't enough. And we say, well, yeah, I like that God stuff, but I'd sure rather have this too. And so we actually end up rejecting God and, and we bring sin into our lives. Well, the sin comes into lives and there's this, this tragic moment in human history where the very eternal purpose of God is thwarted, right? It, it, it isn't coming through because there's sin in the way and it blocks what God is doing. But what you need to do is you need to step back and you need to see the full story because in the moment of epic failure, God immediately steps in and sets a, 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 a thing in place to be this amazing victory. The most horrific moment in human history is what God uses to display his glory. You got to think about that for a minute. The greatest, most horrific moment in human history is the very thing that God uses to display his glory and his eternal purpose. There is a Latin phrase, file culpa, which is uh, taken from, um, Augustine wrote this, and it basically, if the literal translation is happy fault, which is kind of weird, or a lot of times you see it written as fortunate fault. Um, if you actually, the Audrey Assad, uh, one of the albums she has is actually, this is the name of the album, and she really um, unpacks this phrase, but uh, Aquinas said, oh, happy fault that earned us so great, so glorious a redeemer. What's he saying there? He's saying, It was the fall of man that made way for the coming of Christ. As hard as it is for our brains to wrap around, how could something so tragic lead way to something so amazing? Oh, happy day that man fell because it was the most perfect way for God to display and to show us how much he loves us by sending his son to die on the cross for us. You got to stop here for a second. And you got to just wrap your mind around, this is God's economy. God is a God of redemption. When you surrender your life to Jesus, God takes the most tragic things in your life and he redeems them and he uses them to advance the kingdom and to bring glory to him. I don't know how and I don't understand 
how, well, why it all happens this way, but what I know to be true is this is God's economy. He takes what we are struggling with and he redeems it and he brings it about for his glory. Yeah, that is a hallelujah. So how do I know this is true? I know it's true because it's my own experience. I know it's true because I know your stories, many of you, and I know it's your experience. I know it's true because when I read the scriptures, that's what I see over and over and over is these moments of, of complete failure. And God says, yeah, isn't that great? Watch me step in and turn it around and let me use it for my glory. That's the God we serve. God is about making beauty from ashes. And the question you gotta ask is, what do you, what's holding you back? What is that? that ugly thing that happened to you that you still hold on to that keeps you from truly enjoying the presence of God. Can you just give it to God and say, God, I don't know what to do with this, but you do. I don't know what to do with the pain I feel, but you do. I don't know what to do with the abuse that I experienced as a young man or a young woman, but you do. And when you give it to God, he, he does something supernatural and he redeems it and he changes our lives. We serve a God of redemption. And we see that in the gospel story. It's an amazing picture. So there's this, this book that's written, it's called the Bible. And you know what it is? It's this, this epic journey of God saying, look, this, I created man so that I could love them and be loved. And it was broken with sin. And it's a journey of God redeeming his people, of redeeming his own children and pulling them back into this love relationship that was his, his very eternal purpose from the beginning. Ephesians 3.11 says, according to his eternal purpose to love and be loved that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. His eternal purpose is to love and be loved and he accomplished it in Christ. Got a homework assignment for you. Some of you roll your eyes when I say that. I don't know if any, does anybody ever do the homework assignments, but I got one for you. This week, I want you to read Ephesians. It'll take you somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 minutes to read Ephesians, but I want you to read it with a pad of paper. And every time you see the two words, in Christ, I want you to write what it is that happened in Christ. Okay, it's just in Christ. And you're gonna get more than just this, but you're gonna see in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we are included. In Christ, we are made alive. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we are made one. In Christ, we have been brought near to God. You should clap for those because that's a really good thing. Everything we have, everything we preach on Sunday morning after Sunday morning, our ability to have a great marriage, our ability to be great coworkers, to have to, our ability to love our enemies, it all happens in Christ. Sonny and Sherita are incredibly gifted. The more time I spend with them, the more impressed I am with their giftedness and the passion that God has laid on hearts. But can I tell you, they cannot plant a church in Midtown that is gonna have an impact on the kingdom of God without being in Christ. That's, that's it. That's what's gonna make the difference. Whether or not they are in Christ, whether or not you are in Christ, whether or not I am in Christ, that's what gives us the power. This is the John 15 stuff. You know, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. That remaining in me, that being in Christ, abiding in Christ, that is what gives us what we need to to have this relationship with God. So God's eternal purpose was to love and be loved. Jesus came and he displayed God's love perfectly, but he also made way for us to be in relationship with him. 
One of the problems with the American evangelical Christian church is that we make Christianity a moralistic adventure. If you just try harder, somebody comes and says, man, I'm really struggling. Well, you should read your Bible more. Boy, I'm really struggling. Well, you should try praying three times a day. Here you go. Here's your, here's your, well, I'm really struggling. Well, here's six disciplines. Do these, see what happens. And the problem is we start to mess up the what and the why, because those are all what's. And they're all important things, but they're not the core of the why. So we read our Bible, that's a what, it's not a why. And we pray, that's a what, it's not a why. And we do spiritual discipline, but they become something in and of themselves. But they're just a what, they're not the why. What's the why? To be in Christ, to abide in Christ, to know the love of the Father, to be with the Father, to experience his love. And all those other things, they are just ways in which God has put in front of us things that we can have in our lives. But it's not about doing, it's about being in Christ. What we need to understand, what Paul is trying to tell us is that the cross is the most profound and perfect expression of the love of the Father. In Christ, we see a love that's incomprehensible, that, that while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to literally die for us. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. There's this picture of perfect love, perfect love towards us, but also perfect love towards the Father. Jesus says, I do this because the love of the Father compels me to do it. So the love is the very heart of the gospel. Love is the very heart of of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Scriptures say God loves so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not die, but have eternal life life God loved so much. God loves so much that he showed up and he laid down his life for us. God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. And that eternal purpose is made clear to us. It's made, given us an example of it in the life and the death, and it's made available to us through the life and the death of Christ. This was accomplished on the cross through Christ. And the question we want to end with is, so what? So what does this mean for my daily life? What does this mean for being a a better person, a better husband, a better wife? And the truth is, the more you can understand who Christ is, and the more you can understand the gospel and what Christ did, the more that it compels you not only to love God, but to love others. So there's a need for us to, to let the truth of what I'm talking about today sink deep into our souls. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, listen to this, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I think this is one of the most understated verses in the Bible. This is a profound truth. Verse 12, in him, through faith, we may approach God you get that approach, God, the holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We can approach God with confidence. I think we pray and we don't realize what, what exactly is going on here. We get to stand in the presence of a holy God. This is an amazing truth that will change your life. This is transformational stuff. Part of the problem, I think, with the, the verse that I'm reading, verse 12 in the NIV, is I think they... I understand why they translated it this way because it reads better, it's better English, 
But if you go back to the original text and you just almost do a word for word literal translation, this is what it would say. I'll try to read it wrong in the first service, but it says, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. And what I wanna do is I did a little bit of a word study on those three words that are in bold. And I wanna just tell you what those words mean because all of a sudden this one little understated sentence takes on so much more meaning. So right out of the Greek dictionary, boldness, it means freedom or openness, especially in speech. You know what that means? It means you can say what you need to say to God. It means you don't have to come up with the right words. You don't have to come up with the prayer language that's beyond. So you sit with somebody, have you ever, this, I have this experience. I, I don't know if you guys know it, but I'm a pastor and I still have this experience. Somebody prays and it's really, really profound. And then I'm feeling a little bit like, I don't wanna follow that. Like they know all the right words and they say them in all the right places and it's pretty, but we can get intimidated because we don't pray right. We don't have the language, we haven't figured out. I'm not talking about a spiritual language. That's, a, that's another sermon for another time. God's in that too. I'm just talking about English. Like sometimes we'd be like, well, I don't know what to say to God. I, I hear people say that. Well, do you wanna pray? Well, I don't know what I would say. Say what you feel. Say what's on your heart, because what the scripture is saying is you can say what you need to say. And we see it in the Psalms, like the psalmist, they said what they needed to say. They said, God, you don't make any sense to me. God, I'm mad at you. God, why did you do this? God, why that? Nevertheless, God, I love you. God, you are so good to me. All of that comes out in the Psalms. But the, if you read the Psalms, it's almost striking how honest they are. And so in this passage, it says we can be bold. We have freedom and openness to, to say what we need to say. And then it says we have access. And the definition in the Greek dictionary for this is intimate face-to-face -face interaction to have an audience with. Look, we can not only say what we want to say, but God is there. We get to walk right up to the throne. We get to talk to the living God, a face-to-face -face interaction. You know what this reminds me? It reminds me of Moses who talk to God as a man talks to another man, that we get to have a conversation with the living God, that he is there. We have access to the Father. Remember, this is saying we have access to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son so that we can say what we need to say and we can say it as if we are sitting right with God. God is with us. I remember a long time ago, Ed preached in a sermon, and he put a, a chair there and he, it was the empty chair and he said, you, you should just, God is sitting in that chair and talk to him. If he's sitting right there, you should have that image in your mind because according to the scripture, he's there. You have an opportunity to have faith to face. And then the last word that I, that I looked up was confidence. And I love this. It says a spirit infused persuasion. You don't muster this up on your own. You don't just say, I wanna believe this, I wanna believe this. No, the spirit of God, the living God, you say yes to Jesus, the spirit indwells you and he infuses a confidence in you that when you speak to God, God is hearing you as if you are having a face-to-face -face conversation with him. This is good news, isn't it? Yes, it is. So what? So we have access to the Father and this truth ought to transform our lives. We have confidence in prayer, we have confidence in this loving relationship that it's the very heart of God. It's his eternal purpose to love and be loved. Through Jesus, we can pour out our hearts to God and we can know the love of the Father, the love that changes everything. As you experience God's love, you will be able to love others more purely. As you experience the love of God, you will be a better husband, a better wife, a better friend. That's how this works. So we come to, to God through Christ and, and we experience the love of God and we became, become better lovers of people. God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. 
The great commandment, right, is an expression or an extension of that very purpose. We are to love God and we are to love others. The great commission is part of the why. Excuse me, it's part of the what. The great commission, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to go to Midtown and plant a church because people need to hear the life-saving message of Christ. We are to share the message of Christ with our neighbors here on the east side and go to places like Paris and work with the prostitutes in Paris. And we're going to go to Morocco where we're planting churches in Morocco in a pretty profound sort of way. Why do we do that? Because it's the way of taking the eternal purpose of God to love and be loved to the people and introducing them to a God that loves them beyond their wildest imagination. Next week, we're taking up the beginning the Impact 2016 offering, and we've set a goal to raise $800,000. Every time I say that, I feel like there's a gasp in the room, like, wow, it's a lot of money. And you know what? It is a lot of money. But it's what God has called us to raise in order to take the message of Christ to the world, to have more impact in this little community that we call Grace Community Church. I want to encourage you to pray about how God would have you give, but I want you to know this is, this is an expression of God, of, of helping people to live into the eternal purpose of God, to experience the love of God and to become lovers of others. This is about making the love of the Father known. Impact 2016 is exciting stuff, but what we're looking for is for God to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine here in this place. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for two sentences in scripture that we have barely begun to talk about. Your eternal purposes fulfilled in Christ Jesus so that we can have access to the Father. What is amazing truth in there. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, the truth of your scripture would sink deep into our souls. I pray that it would, it would bear fruit, that it would grow. Lord, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to know the truth that your eternal purpose is to love and be loved. Help us to be lovers of God and lovers of people. Lord, help us to make you known in places like Midtown, here on the east side and around the world. What an incredible privilege you've given us as a church to have so many different places where we can serve and partners like Sunny and Tree to bless them, bless this church. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you that we love to pray with you down here. If you need prayer, uh, even as we talked about that thing that might be burdening you, come on down. We would love to pray with you. Have a great Sunday. I saw water flowing from the